Hello and welcome. This is Melissa Giles, Portfolio Manager with Americana Partners. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'll be reviewing the July market commentary provided by David M. Darst, Chief Investment Officer with Americana Partners. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. The first section I'll be covering is called Where We Are. Please note that any charts or graphics referenced are available by request through our website. Let's begin. As the economy, financial markets, and investors exit a historically turbulent first half of 2020, the second half of the year may be hard-pressed to exhibit such an extraordinary confluence of epical forces and events. The American nation has experienced significant grief, soul-searching, demonstrations, and episodes of civil unrest. The U.S.-China relationship has exhibited meaningful deterioration along a number of important factors. And responding to government-mandated lockdowns, cancellations, and social distancing measures in an attempt to contain the spread of the coronavirus pandemic, January through June 2020 has witnessed massive job losses and sharp economic contraction, which were swiftly met with heretofore unencountered amounts in forms of monetary and fiscal policy stimulus. With the Federal Reserve lowering policy interest rates and investors seeking refuge in perceived safe haven assets, yields on U.S. Treasury securities declined as follows from December 31, 2019 to July 17, 2020 for two-year notes from 1.52% to 0.14%, for 10-year notes from 1.77% to 0.62%, and for 30-year bonds from 2.23% to 1.33%. Over the same time frame, gold prices rose positive 19% and gold mining shares increased positive 34.3%. The VIX, Volatility Index, representing financial market participants' expectations of 30-day forward-looking volatility, rose from a quiescent 12.51 on December 20, 2019, to close at a very elevated 66.04 on Friday, March 20th, and then has remained above 25 for practically all of the past four months. Against a backdrop of prominent corporate bankruptcies thus far in 2020, including Hertz Corporation, Neiman Marcus, JCPenney, Forever 21, LATAM Airlines, Frontier Communications, McDermott International, Diamond Offshore Drilling, Chesapeake Petroleum, Whiting Petroleum, J. Crew, Brooks Brothers, Pier 1 Imports, and numerous others, with the total bankruptcy assets involved already having surpassed that of the entire 2008 calendar year. U.S. equity markets have largely bifurcated into have sectors, including, among others, online retailing, video conferencing, home entertainment, social media, and social networking, cloud computing, internet search, and select vaccine developers and the have-not sectors, including, among others, banks, energy companies, airlines, international cruise lines, bricks-and-mortar retailers, hotels, casinos, and amusement parks. Given the level of uncertainty that characterizes the economic, financial, energy, political, and geopolitical outlook for the rest of this year, it is perhaps unsurprising that financial markets have often found themselves stuck in the doldrums, for the past month and a half or so. The doldrums, the word doldrum, ultimately derived from the Proto-Indo-European word meaning dull, representing an equatorial region of the Atlantic Ocean where the northeast and southeast trade winds converge, producing monotonous, unpredictable, windless weather, irritating to distraction our sail-power-driven forebears, and such directionless movements have characterized financial markets in recent weeks. For the four weeks of June and the first three weeks of July, the chart in the original commentary depicts the numerous backward and forward, treading water, rally then fizzle, U-turns, and swings in many asset prices, the Standard & Poor's 500 Index of U.S. Stocks, the West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil Price, COMEX Gold Futures Prices, the TLT Exchange Traded Fund, representing 20-year U.S. Treasury bond prices and the DXY index of the U.S. dollar versus six major currencies. 
To cite one example, the Standard & Poor's 500 Index experienced a sign change in four of the seven weeks exhibited in the chart provided in the original commentary, and the net percentage point gain over the entire seven-week time frame amounted to only positive 6.2 points, driven by alternating spells of optimism over better-than-expected economic news and or what appear to be improved prospects for a coronavirus vaccine and pessimism occasioned by record levels of new COVID-19 infections leading to the reimposition of government-ordered shutdowns. The same degree of churning in place has also occurred on an intraday basis with great frequency since early June. The print and broadcast media have been rather inventive in describing these intraday swings as yo-yo markets, pinball markets, seesaw markets, teeter-totter markets, topsy-turvy markets, whiplash markets, and roller coaster markets, among several other colorful descriptives. The sections I will cover contain our evaluation of what we consider to be important positive and negative influences on asset prices in the second half of 2020, followed by our recommended portfolio positioning. Bullish, constructive factors and influences. 1. Massive U.S. and global policy measures. Asset prices have been helped not only by the fundamental efficacy of the authority's policy response, but equally by the psychological boost delivered by the targeted, timely, and yes, the titanic size of such initiatives. 1. The Federal Reserve has unleashed enormous monetary policy support to the U.S. economy via its March 15, 2020 emergency 100 basis points, 1%, interest rate reduction to a range of 0 to 0.25% in the target federal funds rate, a 13.5% increase in the money supply over 15 weeks during the first half of 2020, equal to quadruple the increase engineered during the global financial crisis of 2008-2009, a vast array of credit and lending support programs, immense quantitative easing, money printing to purchase U.S. Treasury, municipal, mortgage-backed, investment-grade corporate, and high-yield junk securities. Continued expansion in its balance sheet from $1 trillion in 2007 to $2.2 trillion in 2008 to $4.5 trillion in 2017 to $7.1 trillion at mid-year 2020, with an expected further expansion to nearly $9 trillion by year-end 2020. The March 19th, 2020 opening up of dollar swap lines with nine foreign central banks in which the Fed accepts other currencies in exchange for U.S. dollar to promote the smooth functioning of the world's dollar-dependent financial system and so-called verbal signaling of its intent over the foreseeable future to maintain interest rates at low levels across all maturities of the U.S. Treasury yield curve. 2. Fiscal stimulus bills signed into law have provided significant support in the form of emergency money for coronavirus testing and paid leave, tax and student loan extensions, the $2.2 trillion CARES, Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, and a subsequent $484 billion Interim CARES Act, it is anticipated that an additional $1 to $1.5 trillion or more of fiscal stimulus will be signed into law before Congress adjourns for its August recess. 3. Currency stimulus has also been delivered to the U.S. economy in the form of U.S. dollar depreciation, which tends to boost exports, reduce imports, and increase the U.S. dollar value of foreign currency earnings generated abroad. As of July 17th, the U.S. dollar was down negative 0.4% year-to-date against the DXY basket of six major currencies, down from a positive 6.7% year-to-date gain on March 20th. And, four, outside the U.S., additional monetary plus fiscal stimulus over the February-May 2020 timeframe has been delivered in the Eurozone, amounting to 36% of GDP. In Japan, amounting to 39% of GDP, in the United Kingdom, amounting to 14% of GDP, and in China, amounting to 15% of GDP. 2. Improving U.S. Economic Data Flow A host of June economic reports have generally cheered financial markets, including, among others, with the June unemployment rate falling to 11.1% from 13.3% in May June non-farm payrolls increased by positive 4.8 million jobs after increasing positive 2.7 million in May 
and declining negative 20.7 million in April, in contrast to the two months' rapid jobs recovery of May and June 2020, it took fully 20 months after the 2009 low point to add an equivalent share of lost jobs. June retail sales far exceeded consensus expectations increasing positive 7.5% month-over-month, with May upwardly revised to positive 18.2%. The June ISM Manufacturing Index registered 52.6 versus 43.1 in May, and the ISM Non-Manufacturing Index rose to 57.1 in June, up from 45.4 in May. The National Federation of Independent Business Small Business Optimism Index rose to 100.6 from 94.4 in May. Industrial production rose positive 5.4% in June versus positive 1.4% in May and negative 12.7% in April. The Empire State Regional Manufacturing Survey reached positive 17.2 in June, up from negative 0.2 in May and negative 78.2 in April. June Conference Board Consumer Confidence registered 98.1 versus 85.9 in May and continuing to buoy the housing market. On July 16th, 30-year fixed-rate mortgage interest rates reached 2.98%, the lowest level in 50 years of record-keeping. 3. An upturn in global and Chinese economic activity. As reported by the OECD, the Paris-based Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, even while reflecting some degree of fragility in the recovery due to persistent uncertainty about the possibility of future lockdowns, the June Global Composite Leading Indicators continued their steady improvement from the height of the pandemic crisis reaching 97.1 compared with 95.3 in May and 93.8 in April. The early stages of China's modest economic recovery, with second quarter 2020 GDP growing positive 3.2% year-over-year, after a negative 6.8% year-over-year contraction in first quarter 2020, are reflected in June imports, positive 2.7% after falling, negative 16.7% in May, Official June data for the Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index at 50.9 versus 50.6 in May, the Non-Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index at 54.4 versus 53.6 in May, year-over-year data for industrial production, positive 4.8% in June versus positive 4.4% in May, retail sales, negative 1.8% in June versus negative 2.8% in May, and fixed asset investment negative 3.1% for the first six months of 2020 versus negative 6.3% for the first five months of 2020, and, often viewed as an indicator of Chinese growth trends, the Baltic Dry Index, which gauges supply and demand for ships as well as seaborne freight chartering rates to transport ore, grain, coal, and construction materials, has risen positive 56% year-to-date as of July 17th and at 1,710 is more than triple this barometer's level in early February. 4. Significant cash buying power on the sidelines. According to Refinitiv Lipper, as of mid-June, total assets and money market funds amounted to over $4.6 trillion, the highest level on record according to data going back to 1992. 5. Recurrent Vaccine Hopes Asset prices around the globe generally have exhibited a distinct tendency to quickly rally or to fade equally swiftly with each new substantive positive or negative report concerning the progress and results of dosing, toxicity, safety, efficacy, immune response, side effects, and the challenges associated with manufacturing and distributing a coronavirus vaccine. On the therapeutic front, Gilead Sciences has released trial data showing that its experimental remdesivir drug may go beyond just speeding up recovery from COVID-19, in that it also may significantly reduce the risk of mortality. Human trials are being conducted by at least 17 firms worldwide that have started on development of a vaccine against COVID-19. Among them, Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech each are pursuing a messenger RNA-based approach Inovio, a DNA-based approach, CanSino Biologics, the University of Oxford AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson each a non-replicating viral vector approach, Merck, a replicating viral vector approach, 
and Novavax and Sanofi Glasgow SmithKline each a protein-based approach. In anticipation that a vaccine can be found that induces sufficient levels of neutralizing antibodies to protect people safely from the disease, and with 13.8 million people around the world having tested positive for the coronavirus infection as of July 17th, it is estimated that it could take up to 10 years before humanity achieves sufficient immunity to the disease, even if numerous companies launch a vaccine at the same time. Now let's discuss bearish cautionary factors and influences. 1. Lowered global GDP outlook. Reflecting the more negative than earlier anticipated impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on economic activity in the first half of 2020, in June, the International Monetary Fund revised downward its global GDP growth forecast to negative 4.9% for 2020, compared to negative 3% in its April outlook. For 2021, the IMF projects global GDP growth at positive 5.4%, which would leave 2021 global GDP some 6.5 percentage points lower than in the IMF's pre-COVID-19 projections issued in January 2020. For the U.S., the IMF forecasts a negative 8% GDP contraction in 2020, followed by positive 4.5% growth in 2021. For the euro area, the IMF forecasts a negative 10.2% GDP contraction in 2020, followed by positive 6% growth in 2021. And for China, the IMF forecasts positive 1% GDP growth in 2020 and positive 8.2% growth in 2021. 2. Resurgence of coronavirus cases reintroducing U.S. economic uncertainty. With coronavirus infections since mid-June accelerating in several large states and, in a number of cases, reaching record levels, creating the possibility of further stresses in the job market, closed or only partially reopened schools, reduced productivity and profit margins as surviving businesses introduce necessary workplace safety and hygiene protocols, more severe-than-anticipated scarring, damage to supply potential, and renewed government lockdowns and mandated social distancing, as the initial first quarter 2020 and second quarter 2020 shocks to economic activity were prolonged. A rapid rebound from recession may be weaker and more drawn out than anticipated earlier. The risks appear to have risen of a possible double dip in economic activity, and even if such difficulties manage to be avoided, the U.S. may experience a meaningfully slower-than-expected GDP recovery. 3. Declining S&P 500 revenues and earnings in 2020 with a wide dispersion in analysts' estimates and a lack of visibility into the revenues and earnings outlook, more than 180 companies in the S&P 500 index have withdrawn their earnings guidance in the wake of the pandemic-induced economic crisis. Second quarter 2020 corporate earnings as of mid-July are projected to have fallen approximately negative 44.6% versus a year earlier. The hardest-hit S&P industry sectors are projected to be energy, with second quarter 2020 earnings down negative 150% year-over-year, consumer discretionary negative 119%, industrials negative 89%, and financials negative 55%, with the best year-over-year performance projected to be turned in by the utility sector negative 2%, and information technology negative 9%. For the S&P 500 companies as a whole, FactSet's mid-July compilation of analysts' year-over-year -year estimates calls for, in third quarter 2020, an earnings decline of negative 24.9% and a revenue decline of negative 5.4%. In fourth quarter 2020, an earnings decline of negative 12.4% and a revenue decline of negative 1.7%. And for the full year 2020 calendar year, an earnings decline of negative 21.5% and a revenue decline of negative 3.8%. 4. The adequacy of commercial banks' loan loss provisions. Commercial banks' reserve buildups in anticipation of future credit losses, provisioning, represent a significant swing factor for banking earnings, tend to be somewhat subjective, and may not necessarily offer visibility into the true health of corporate and consumer borrowers. In second quarter 2020, the four largest U.S. commercial banks have set aside $33 billion to cover potential loan losses, nearly $10 billion more than the provisions set aside in first quarter 2020, 
and $30 billion more than in second quarter 2019. For the full year 2020, Standard & Poor's projects that aggregate global credit losses will reach $1.3 trillion, representing three-quarters of the world's largest bank's pre-provision earnings, more than double the $600 billion incurred in calendar year 2019. From a credit risk perspective, any longer and deeper-than-expected economic contraction would further impair banks' asset quality and increase credit losses, recognizing the pressures on bank earnings power in a stagnant economy with ultra-low interest rates, and perhaps anticipating that such a challenging environment might lead to increased provisioning. The Federal Reserve on June 25th required large banks to suspend share buybacks and cap dividend payments at current levels for third quarter 2020 with dividends to be paid based on a formula tied to banks' recent earnings. 5. Post-Pandemic Stress Disorder, PPSD It is difficult to predict the level of permanent business closures, corporate bankruptcies, and lingering injuries to corporations' rehiring activity, cash and liquidity stockpiling, stock buyback programs, capital outlays, and the level of rehiring furloughed and laid-off workers. Also unknown is the extent and duration of damage experienced by companies in sectors including airlines, live sports, theme parks, cruise ships, gaming, hospitality, and -and bricks-and-mortar retail. 6. Evidence of Speculative Behavior Although not always perfectly indicative of a major peaking in financial asset prices, more often than not, evidence of crowded investor behavior and irrational exuberance has proven over many market cycles to be a reasonably reliable warning sign to exercise heightened investment caution and extra vigilance in reducing portfolio risk. A partial catalog of such current portents includes 1. As of mid-July, the S&P 500 index was more concentrated in the five largest capitalization stocks than ever before. Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook account for 23% of the total S&P 500 equity market capitalization, significantly exceeding the prior record set in early 2000 when Microsoft, General Electric, Cisco, Intel, and Walmart accounted for 18.5% of the S&P 500 equity market capitalization. In a similar vein, the early July 3.4 to 1 ratio of the total equity market capitalization of the 100 largest NASDAQ stocks to the total equity market capitalization of the S&P 500 companies also surpasses the prior record of 3.3 to 1 ratio set in late 1999 towards the peak of the dot-com mania. 2. Another speculative late-cycle phenomenon is the Special Purpose Acquisition Company, also known as a SPAC or Blank Check Company, which has no operating history when it issues shares in initial public offering, IPO. Essentially, investors are being asked to allocate capital to a venture without knowing the specific use of the proceeds. Within a certain time frame, usually two years, the SPAC must dedicate the proceeds of its initial public offering to acquire or merge with a usually as-yet-unknown target firm. Through July 13, 2020, new listings of such vehicles have raised $12.1 billion and are on track to surpass 2019's full-year record of $13.5 billion. 3. A variety of internet sites, message boards, and social media outlets have sprung up, some of which are focused on more volatile, low-priced penny stocks promising get-rich-quick schemes aimed at inexperienced individual investors who may have missed substantial upward moves in established names during a bull market advance. One app with millions of users features one-click buying and selling activity, encourages trading in risky products at a rapid pace, and offers easy access to complex investment products and, for certain high-profile story stocks, possessed of a compelling, easy-to-understand narrative, have traced out parabolic, almost unchecked upward price moves, sometimes as squeezed skeptics rush to cover their short sales by purchasing shares, that may as a result vault skyward as much as several hundred dollars in a single day. The shares of one such well-known company have risen, positive 763% to a quadruple-digit share price in little more than 13 months. 7. U.S.-China Relations In recent weeks, a widening ideological gap, visa bans, sanctions, mutual suspicions, and hawkish policies on the part of the U.S. and Chinese governments over trade, technology, and global influence in the South China Sea, in the Taiwan Strait, 
in the Arabian Gulf, in cyberspace, and even in outer space, have led to a significant deterioration in the two nations' bilateral relationship that is increasingly characterized by distrust, animosity, and the risk of small disputes escalating into larger and more serious confrontations. The fraught state of relations between America and China argues for allocations to high-quality assets in which the investor has great confidence in their value-holding power, as well as some appropriate degree of liquidity that can be put to work should asset prices come to reflect critically exaggerated tension levels. 8. Election year and post-election outcomes Financial market participants are more and more likely to pay attention to the rapidly diminishing time interval, 15 weeks, between Tuesday, July 21st and Election Day on Tuesday, November 3rd. On that day, voters will cast their ballots for the presidency, for 35 of the 100 U.S. Senate seats, and for all 435 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. The three presidential debates likely to focus on many of the issues that traditionally decide elections, including jobs, taxes, health care, energy prices, trade, and other matters, will be held on Tuesday, September 29th, Thursday, October 15th, and Thursday, October 22nd. Thus far, much of the discussion and scenario analysis has focused primarily on the issue of taxes, with less attention paid to the election's effects on industries including healthcare, technology, energy, and defense companies. The current taxation and spending policy positions of Vice President Biden contain numerous base-broadening elements that propose an increase in the corporate tax rate to 28% from 21% and taxes for individuals for filers with income above 400000 to 39.6% from 37% under current law, while increasing spending with a focus on healthcare, infrastructure, education, energy research, climate change, and other initiatives. We continue to advise investors to position their portfolios well in advance of the election in those asset classes, companies, sectors, and investment managers that can flourish regardless of post-election taxation, regulatory, and spending policies. Now let's discuss portfolio positioning. 1. Keeping things in perspective. Many of the overarching themes and conditions that inform our intermediate and long-term asset allocation and investment strategy emphasize the need to recognize that the concepts and implementation methods intended to achieve safety, balance, diversification, and liquidity are likely to face evolving social priorities, geopolitical power relationships, price level changes, demographic trends, indebtedness levels, technological pervasiveness, and not least, the definition, role, embodiment, and value of money itself. For the current environment and conditions expected in the period ahead, we have set forth some thoughts. 2. Enhancing and Preserving We confess to some continuing degree of unease over the apparent disconnect between, on the one hand, the growing mainstream popularity of stocks with a rapid recovery in U.S. equity prices, and on the other hand, a highly uncertain economic and post-election outlook. As of the S&P 500 market close of 3,224.73 on July 17th, the index was up fully, positive 44.1% from its closing low of 2,237.4 on March 23rd, and only negative 4.8% below its all-time record closing high of 3,386.15 on February 19th. Our short-term inclination at this point in time is to take note of the Federal Reserve's ongoing support of financial asset prices while taking advantage of equity price rallies to upgrade the quality of portfolio holdings. 1. Jettisoning lower-quality, higher-risk assets. 2. Selectively carrying some cash-type liquidity. and 3. With timing restraint and price discipline, adding to attractively priced, higher-quality assets on equity market pullbacks. 3. Equity emphasis and de-emphasis. Particularly in the current conditions of very low U.S. Treasury interest rates, it appears likely that cash-generating, financially stable companies with robust growth prospects, which are able to operate and thrive in the digital sphere as they continue to enhance their business models, should retain a valuation premium. Within equities, 1. We recommend beginning to shift some emphasis from growth sectors, companies, and managers towards the moderate inclusion of some value sectors, companies, and managers. Two, 
We counsel modestly adding small and mid-cap companies or investment managers specializing in and with good track records in this space to our primary emphasis on large capitalization enterprises, and three, for the time being, we continue to prefer a tactical overweighting to U.S. domestic equities over international developed and emerging market stocks. Four, focus on strength and quality. Our long-term equity portfolio weightings continue to emphasize asset managers, sectors, and specific companies that can benefit from the major sustained trends of the 2020 decade, including one, incremental growth in a wide range of economic circumstances. Two, a focus on economic repair, digitalization, e-commerce, personal wellness, safety, domesticity, home improvement, infrastructure spending, and where possible, the release of pent-up consumer demand. And three, advantageous capture of benefits from onshoring, supply chain redesign, and deglobalization as important drivers of capital spending and disruptive innovation. At the company level in equities, we continue our emphasis on identifying and building long-term exposure to firms possessing fortress-like cash-rich balance sheets, limited debt, positive free cash flow generation, dividend strength, and competitive business models that over a long time frame can generate high returns on equity through revenue growth and tenable profit margins rather than through excessive levels of leverage. 5. Balancing Growth and Value Sectors On a year-to-date basis through Friday, July 17th, the iShares Russell 1000 Growth ETF, symbol IWF, and including companies in sectors such as technology, healthcare, and communication services, had returned a positive 14.62%, while the iShares Russell 1000 Value ETF, symbol IWD, and including companies in sectors such as financial, real estate, energy, utility, and industrial companies, had returned negative 12.96%. This 27.58 percentage point growth minus value returns differential is among the widest such divergences in more than three decades, and to us appears to argue for considering some piecemeal prudent reallocation from selected growth sectors, companies, and managers into selected value sectors, companies, and managers. 6. U.S. Dollar Outlook After declining negative 7.4% in 2017, appreciating positive 4.3% in 2018, and marginally slipping negative 0.2% in 2019, the DXY U.S. Dollar Index measured versus a basket of six major currencies, the Euro, Japanese Yen, Swedish Krona, British Pound, Canadian Dollar, and Swiss Franc, had, as of the market close on July 17th, risen positive 1.2% year-to-date, following the U.S. dollar strength in first quarter 2020 as a safe haven, flight-to-quality asset during the pandemic and lockdown-induced global financial market turbulence earlier this year. The DXY index had gained positive 6.7% year-to-date as of March 20th. We believe the U.S. dollar may continue on its gradual path of weakness as, due primarily to lower yields in the United States, the U.S. dollar's income-generating advantage has narrowed considerably versus other major currencies. 7. Fixed Income Securities We affirm our affinity for issuers at the high-quality end of the rating spectrum in both investment-grade and in high-yield bonds, in taxable and tax-exempt bonds, emphasis should be placed on maturities and durations along the short to intermediate portion of the yield curve spectrum. 8. Alternative investments and real assets. Our focus for some time has emphasized some degree of exposure to gold and or gold mining shares, ETFs, and we continue this preference. High-quality master limited partnerships with strong business models and sustainable dividend-paying capacity and select investments in private credit, private real estate, and opportunistic distressed strategies that are positioned to selectively derive meaningful value from the numerous dislocations set in motion by the coronavirus pandemic. In this next section, we will be discussing the path of gold mining shares. The April edition of our monthly market commentary enumerates the principal bullish and bearish investment views of gold, concluding that gold and or gold mining shares deserve consideration and a legitimate place in financial portfolios, with a specific percentage allocation determined by the investor's motivations, fears, amounts to invest, objectives, and personal circumstances. 
The objective of gold ownership is not to achieve income generation, medical breakthroughs, technological advancement, or powerful brand positioning, which, after all, represent the primary function of investment in financial assets. In our view, gold's chief rationale and advantage in portfolios may be psychological as much as monetary, stemming from its store of value characteristics and perceptions that it represents the currency of last resort. In our May monthly market commentary, we counseled some continued degree of portfolio exposure to gold through physical holdings of bars and or coins, gold mining shares, and exchange-traded funds offering exposure to gold mining shares or to the metal itself for the following reasons. 1. In an era of significant money printing and central bank monetization of sovereign debt issuance, gold can serve as protection against potential currency debasement. 2. Especially in times of heightened capital markets volatility and global market turbulence, gold in the past has tended to exhibit very low and often negative correlations with other financial asset prices. 3. Gold can be an effective hedge against the instability brought on by the extremes of inflation, acting as a store of value as well as deflation when the opportunity cost of holding gold is close to zero. 4. Recognizing that gold, unlike, for example, equities, does not fund personal and corporate entrepreneurship to build value, create marketing and managerial breakthroughs, and fund innovative new companies in the technology, infrastructure, healthcare, and bio and cybersecurity fields, gold's putative role is to function as a form of psychological anchor and emotional ballast that give the investor the conviction, courage, balance, and perspective to weather difficult, even chaotic, economic and financial environments and, rather than succumb to fear and panic at precisely the most inopportune time, resolve instead to take advantage of trying circumstances. And 5. Unlike paper, fiat currencies based on debt and central government budget deficits, for millennia, gold has functioned as a monetary asset, a hedge against chronic currency weakness and a store of wealth that is real and not a commodity. Gold mining shares can be purchased on a company-by-company basis through individual selection by the investor or by an investment manager engaged to perform this function. If this path is chosen, careful analytical consideration needs to be given to the following factors among others. 1. The amount of the company's proven and probable reserves in its mining properties, the grade of the ore itself, revenue streams from mining byproducts, and corporate strategies to replenish reserves. 2. The political stability, taxation policy, and existing power, transportation, communications, and water infrastructure of the countries in which the company's mining assets are located. 3. The company's ownership profile, management quality, capital strength, labor, and energy operating cost structure, and degree of discipline towards acquisitions, divestitures, and dividends. Portfolios of gold mining shares can be acquired by investing in open-end mutual funds, enclosed-end mutual funds, as well as in exchange-traded funds of gold mining companies. The latter category is treated in the commentary that follows. 1. Founded in 2009, ETF database, ETFDB.com, is a web-based research and analysis firm in Chicago offering data and reports on exchange-traded funds. The ETFDB website contains data on 11 gold miners' ETFs, including historical performance, total assets, expense ratios, dividends, and holdings. Without specifically recommending or endorsing any one ETF over another, for comparison purposes and perspective, we have selected two of the larger gold miners ETFs, the Vanek Vectors Gold Miners ETF, ticker symbol GDX, the panel provided in the original commentary shows its total percentage price change from January 1, 2006 through July 17, 2020. For the GDX ETF, positive 4.8%, and the total percentage price change for a reasonable proxy for the physical gold price, the Spider Gold Physical Gold Shares ETF, symbol GLD, positive 139.1%. The Vanek Vectors Gold Miners ETF seeks to approximate the investment performance of the NYSE ARCA Gold Miners Index by investing in a portfolio of gold mining common stocks and depository receipts that generally tracks the index. As of December 31, 2019, the NYSE ARCA Gold Miners Index included, subject to change, 
48 securities of companies with a market capitalization ranging between $596.7 million and $35.6 billion, and a weighted average market capitalization of $14 billion. And two, the Vanek Vectors Junior Gold Miners ETF, ticker symbol GDXJ, the panel provided in the original commentary, shows its total percentage price change from January 1, 2010 through July 17, 2020. For the GDXJ ETF, negative 46.4%, and the total percentage price change for a reasonable proxy for the physical gold price, the Spider Gold Physical Gold Shares ETF, symbol GLD, positive 58.2%. The Vanek Vectors Juniors Gold Miners ETF seeks to approximate the investment performance of the Vanek-owned MVIS Junior Gold Miners Index by investing in a portfolio of gold mining common stocks and depository receipts that generally tracks the index. As of December 31st, 2019, the MVIS Junior Gold Miners Index included, subject to change, 68 securities of companies with a market capitalization ranging between $158.8 million and $6.6 billion, and a weighted average market capitalization of $3.1 billion. While the two panels provided in the original commentary provide some sense of the degree to which the Van Eck Vectors Gold Miners ETF, GDX, and the Van Eck Vectors Junior Gold Miners ETF, GDXJ, track the Spider Gold Physical Gold Shares GLD, the table provided in the original commentary provides further insight into the year-to-year performance of these three ETFs. It would seem reasonable that when gold prices go up, mainstream, and junior gold mining companies would generate more profits, and thus their stock prices should also appreciate, perhaps by a greater amount than the gold price increase, owing to upside corporate operational and financial leverage. This was the case in four of the 11 years shown in the table provided in the original commentary, 2010, 2016, 2019, and year-to-date in 2020. Similarly, when gold prices go down, mainstream and junior gold mining companies should generate less profit or perhaps even operate at a loss, and thus their stock prices should decline, perhaps by a greater amount than the gold price decrease, owing to corporate operational and financial leverage working this time on the downside. This was the case in four of the 11 years shown in the table provided in the original commentary, 2013, 2014, 2015, and 2018. Worth noting is the fact that sometimes the gold prices to gold mining stock prices relationship turns out not to be a perfect directional fit and the two asset prices can actually move in opposite directions, as happened in 2012 and 2013, when gold prices rose and gold miners ETFs instead declined in price. And in 2017, even though the spot gold price rose positive 13.6%, the Vanek Vectors Gold Miners ETF GDX rose positive 12%, and the Vanek Vectors Junior Gold Miners ETF rose positive 7.9%, less this time, not more, than the gold price increase. Recognizing that the data provided in the original commentary reflect just over 10.5 years of price changes, we counsel investor awareness and vigilance when choosing whether to own gold ETFs, gold shares ETFs, or both. Based on the experience of the 2010 through mid-2020 timeframe, it can be said that when gold prices move upward or downward, gold mining shares ETFs tend to move in the same direction by a greater amount, but not always. The next topic we will discuss is the path of silver mining shares. As of the end of U.S. trading on Monday, July 20th, silver had reached its highest price since August 2016, with front-month silver futures closing at 20.124 per troy ounce on the COMEX division of the New York Mercantile Exchange, as can be discerned in the panel provided in the original commentary. Front-month silver futures have traced out a sharp advance in recent weeks, climbing positive 8.5% in July and positive 71% from their low reached in mid-March, powered to some degree by 1. Safe haven buying from investors seeking alternatives to financial assets because of immediate concerns about the economic outlook as well as enduring worries about the longer-term implications of the immense monetary and fiscal stimulus programs for the intrinsic worth of paper money. 
thus rendering silver along with gold a presumptively attractive store of wealth and two on again off again perceptions of a recovering economy driven uptick in silver's industrial uses since over 50% of average annual physical silver demand derives from industrial fabrication applications in electrical and electronics products photography photovoltaics ethylene oxide and other industrial components a soft white metal with 47 protons in its nucleus and a weight of 107.8682 atomic mass units silver occurs in nature both one as an elemental metal in its metallic form and two combined with other elements including chloride nitrate and sulfide based on archaeological discoveries in the aegean sea islands and asia minor silver has been prized in varying degrees far more than five millennia owing to its rarity luster malleability and ductility possessing the highest thermal and electrical conductivity of all metals Silver is stable in pure air and water. Although silver tarnishes quickly when exposed to air that contains considerable levels of sulfur, hydrogen sulfide, or ozone, the tarnish is easily removed and does not injure the metal. In the late 1970s, driven by the public's elevated inflation concerns, as well as heavy buying of silver futures and the physical metal by, among others, the Hunt brothers, Nelson Bunker Hunt, William Herbert Hunt, and Lamar Hunt, Silver exhibited a parabolic price increase to a record high 48.70 per troy ounce, 120 per ounce in 2020 inflation adjusted terms. On March 27, 1980, after the Hunt brothers missed a margin call, silver prices plunged precipitously to under $11 per ounce. Somewhat like gold, silver languished for much of the 1980s and 1990s. And following the post-2000 rise for both metals, silver rose over 440% from its cyclical low after the global financial crisis of 2008-2009 to 48.44 an ounce in 2011. Silver price movements have until fairly recently generally lagged those of gold. Silver has sometimes been characterized as the poor person's gold due to its affordability and ownership by individual investors, particularly in developing countries. Owing to considerably smaller reserve allocations to silver by central banks and the fact that as much as 50% or more of silver demand each year is associated with industrial uses, including, in addition to the applications mentioned earlier, solar panels, antimicrobial coatings, 5G mobile infrastructure, autonomous vehicle radars, and other automobile electronics. In actual or anticipated recessionary conditions, silver can significantly underperform gold price movements. Such relative price behavior can be seen by comparing recent years' price movements for gold to those of silver, and by investigating the gold price-to-silver price ratio over the past century. Expanding upon our work in the May monthly market commentary and looking at more recent time frames, the average gold-to-silver price ratio averaged roughly 47 to 1 from 1900 to 2000, and since the beginning of the 21st century, has averaged approximately 60 to 1. In mid-March 2000, reflecting the serious degree of coronavirus-induced public trepidation and investor concern leading to an acute short-term preference for gold relative to silver, the price of an ounce of gold reached 125 times the price of an ounce of silver thought to be the highest ratio in 333 years, going back to at least 1687. By July 20th, reflecting the short-term outperformance of silver relative to gold since equity prices bottomed in March 23rd, mentioned at the onset of this note and captured in the panel provided in the original commentary, the gold price to silver price ratio has eased off to a still quite elevated 93.5, more than 55% above the average ratio of 60 that has prevailed since the turn of the millennium. For some historical perspective, the gold-to-silver ratio was 2.5 to 1 in Egypt under Menes, Code of Menes, circa 3100 BCE. The ratio was 12 to 1 when the biblical King David reigned, circa 1000 BCE, 5 to 1 in ancient Syria, 10 to 1 at the time of Hezekiah, circa 678 BCE, 13 to 1 in Greece before Alexander the Great set the relationship 
of gold to silver at 10 to 1 circa 330 BCE between 12 and 12 and a half to 1 in the Roman Republic until 27 BCE, 8 to 1 in Japan and 4 to 1, then 10 to 1 and later 12 to 1 in China. In Europe, from the Greek Testament to around 1492, the ratio averaged 10 to 1 from 1492 until 1834. The average ratio was 15 to 1. England set the ratio at 16 to 1. Napoleon set the ratio at 15 and a half to 1. And in 1792, the U.S. Congress under President George Washington fixed the U.S. gold to silver ratio at 15 to 1. For investors taking a constructive view of silver, it is worth noting that investment exposure to silver can, as with gold, be implemented through physical bars and or coins, silver mining shares, and exchange-traded funds offering exposure to silver mining shares or to the metal itself. Silver mining shares can be purchased on a company-by-company basis through individual selection by the investor or by an investment manager engaged to perform this function. If this path is chosen, careful analytical consideration needs to be given to the following factors, among others. 1. The amount of the company's proven and probable reserves in its mining properties, the grade of the ore itself, revenue streams from mining byproducts, and corporate strategies to replenish reserves. 2. The political stability, taxation policy, and existing power, transportation, communications, and water infrastructure in the countries in which the company's mining assets are located. 3. The company's ownership profile, management quality, capital strength, labor and energy operating cost structure, and degree of discipline towards acquisitions, divestitures, and dividends. Silver prices, and by extension, the earnings and prices of silver mining shares are subject to many of the same influences as influences affecting gold prices, including the inflation and deflation outlook, the path of monetary policy and interest rates, and global and regional political, economic, financial, and geopolitical circumstances, as well as, indirectly, different influences as influences on gold prices. Among the silver-specific factors are 1. Given the use of silver in a wide range of industrial applications, an economic downturn could have an especially negative impact on the demand for silver, and consequently, its price and the price of silver mining shares. 2. Any significant degree of hedging activity by silver producers, who customarily have not hedged to the same considerable degree that gold mining companies use hedging. 3. Changing views of speculators, hedgers, and investors towards silver. 4. Country-specific factors for the major silver-producing nations, as distinct from the major gold-producing nations. The panel provided in the original commentary contains a chart showing the annual mine production from the 10 largest silver-producing countries for the years 2000 through 2019, affecting the ownership, cost parameters, infrastructure, taxation, environmental, social, and governance norms, exports conditions, and societal political views of particular miners and the mining industry, and 5. Global silver demand for jewelry and silverware fabrication, technology, and industrial applications and net investment purchases by central banks and other investors in the form of bars, coins, and other silver products relative to global silver supply in the form of mine production, net government sales, scrap, and net hedging. The table provided in the original commentary shows the 2009 through 2018 sources of supply and demand for silver in millions of troy ounces. Total supply in 2018 amounted to 1,004.3 million ounces, of which 85.2% was represented by mine production, 15.1% by scrap recycling, and negative 0.3% by net hedging activity. Total physical demand in 2018 amounted to 1,033.5 million ounces, of which 20.6% was jewelry, 17.5% was coins and bars, 5.9% was silverware, and 56% was devoted to industrial fabrication. Portfolios of silver mining shares can be acquired by investing in open-end mutual funds, in closed-end mutual funds, as well as in exchange-traded funds of silver mining companies. 
Founded in 2009, ETFdatabaseETFDB.com is a web-based research and analysis firm in Chicago offering data and reports on exchange-traded funds. The ETFDB website contains data on three silver mining ETFs. One, the Global X Silver Miners ETF, symbol SIL. Two, the ETF MG Prime Junior Silver ETF, symbol SILI. And three, the iShares MSCI Global Silver Miners Index ETF, symbol SLVP, including historical performance, total assets, expense ratios, dividends, and holdings. Without specifically recommending or endorsing any one ETF over another, for comparison purposes with the silver metal ETF SLV, we have included the Global X Silver Miners ETF symbol SIL, listed on the NYSE ARCA Incorporated under symbol SLV, the iShares Silver Trust ETF seeks to reflect generally the performance of the London Bullion Market Association LBMA Silver Price is a silver price benchmark mechanism administered by ICE Benchmark Administration, an independent specialist benchmark administrator appointed by LBMA. Once daily during London business hours, IBA hosts an electronic auction consisting of one or more 30-second rounds. Listed on the NYSE ARCA Incorporated under symbol SIL, the Global X Silver Miners ETF seeks to provide investment results that correspond generally to the price and yield performance before fees and expenses of the Selective Global Silver Mining's Total Return Index. As of December 31, 2019, the underlying index with 25 constituents, 14 of which were non-U.S. companies, was designed to measure broad-based equity market performance of global companies involved in the silver mining industry. For the calendar years 2010 through 2019, and year-to-date through mid-July 2020, the table provided in the original commentary provides insight into the year-to-year total return percentage performance of 1. The Spider Gold Trust ETF, symbol GLD, a reasonable proxy for the physical gold price. 2. The iShare Silver Trust ETF, symbol SLV, a reasonable proxy for the physical silver price. And 3. The Global X Silver Miners ETF, SIL, a reasonable proxy for global silver mining companies. Looking at the year-by-year percentage changes in total returns over the 2010-July 2020 timeframe can provide some empirical insight into the relative total returns behavior between 1. Physical gold and physical silver prices and 2. Between physical silver prices and silver miners' share prices. Physical gold price movements compared with physical silver price movements. Based purely on these data, it might be said that when gold prices move, silver prices tend to move by a greater magnitude in the same direction, i.e. appreciating or declining by a larger amount. This happened six times in 2010, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2018. At the same time, there are four instances where silver prices moved in the same direction as gold prices only by smaller amounts in 2012, 2017, 2019, and year-to-date 2020. And in one year, 2011, gold and silver prices diverged with gold up and silver down. From this experience, a tentative conclusion could be drawn that silver prices and gold prices tend to move in the same direction, with silver tending to move by a greater magnitude than the gold price move a little more than half the time. Physical silver price movements compared with silver mining share price movements. As, with a relationship between physical gold prices and gold mining share prices, it would seem reasonable that when silver prices go up, or go down, silver mining companies should generate more profits and thus their stock prices should also appreciate or depreciate perhaps by a greater absolute amount than the silver price change. Owing to upside and downside corporate and operational and financial leverage. In the years from 2011 through mid July 2020, the Global X Silver Miners ETF moved in the same direction and with greater magnitude than did the Silver Price ETF 8 out of 10 times, while moving in the same direction but with less magnitude than did the Silver Price 2 out of 10 times. 
From this experience, a tentative conclusion could be drawn that silver mining companies' prices and silver prices tend to move in the same direction, with silver mining companies' share prices tending to move up or down by a greater magnitude than the silver price move a bit more than 75% of the time. While we have taken note of the arguments of the silver proponents that silver still may have a lot of relative price appreciation potential and catching up to do when looking at the ratio of the price of gold to the price of silver, our investment posture currently encompasses meaningful exposure to silver and or silver mining shares primarily for short-term trading oriented investors with the experience psychological fortitude, risk management tools, and financial resources that allow the ability to withstand substantial price volatility, shifting correlations, and liquidity lacunae. This concludes our July market commentary by David M. Darst. David is Americana Partners' Chief Investment Officer. We are available to answer questions you may have regarding the topics discussed. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. Thank you for listening. This is Melissa Giles, Portfolio Manager with Americana Partners. Stay invested. Thank you.